Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your testimonies, the teaching that is in front of us in many languages across the world, spoken by your prophets and by your apostles, and we'd ask that we would be alert to it. In your son's name, amen. We're in Isaiah chapter 8. It's a, it's a very famous passage. It comes shortly after that early part of Isaiah, where Isaiah is an interesting approach to prophecy. Like my grandsons, they are named Alexander and Cyrus. Next is going to be Xerxes. <laughs> Great men of old who conquered kingdoms, took other people's stuff. Well, that's what their destiny is going to be. They're named this. They are children of the prophetic purpose. Evan means, I think, something like John. That's what it means. I always told my little brother, uh, Gordon means gore-shaped or triangular-shaped hill. <laughs> and Doug meant out of the black swamp. <laughs> there you go. But Isaiah was busy having children with his wife, and probably much to the chagrin of his wife, naming them prophetic names. So they'd walk around, which is where we get the child Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's one of Isaiah's children. And he named it Emmanuel earlier, a couple chapters earlier than what we're looking at. And one of the kids was named in early chapter 8, Malashaler Hashbaz which you can understand the long-suffering role of pastor's wives as their husbands think of great ways to reach the people. Name your kids oddly. But at the end of that section, he's, he's naming these kids these names as a testimony against Israel. And when, by the time we get down to the middle of chapter 8, he's talked about Malashat or Hashbaz in the first part, and we're starting in verse 11. <coughs> and it says, For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. That's, that's a, a phrase ripe with a sermon. To not walk in the way of this people. Saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Okay? They say, well, you know, around 720 B.C., maybe 750 B.C., the conspiracies of that day are different than the ones of this day. Yes, truly. So, obviously, Isaiah is not talking about in particular the conspiracy you might be interested in. The fears of 750 BC are more lined up with things like Assyrians impaling you or flaying the skin off of you, not, you know, whether or not there's uh, going to be another recession. But we have conspiracies and we have fears and we have dreads, and it tells us to not walk in the way of this people. 
Now, when a, a, people have a way, when people have a method, a, a pattern of life, a, a, a self-rule, um, they are doing it, any government that you have in your life, any decisions you make, and some of you may make New Year's resolutions this week, um, some of you may be studying your Bible, some of you may be taking a psych class, um, some of you maybe have a therapist, uh, who knows what you have. Somehow, somewhere, you're trying to figure out how you're going to govern the things you fear, the things you dread, the threats out there. And the warning is, because so often we look at the answers instead of the questions that were asked, we, we fight, you know, different philosophies or different uh, religions that are not ours because we think they are the wrong answer. But sometimes the cure is not in fixing them taking up that answer, but fixing what they fear. Do not call conspiracy. Do not fear. Do not be in dread. But that, verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. I always point this out. I spoke about this passage a few years ago. Um, Glenda, one of the rectors of the church who makes lists. She is of Clan Munro. And Clan Munro, their uh, war cry was Dread God. I like that one. You know. Ours was Ot Pax Ot Bellum which means either peace or war. Scots don't, you know, mess around. But the dread God. Let God be your dread. The thing is not, you're not supposed to be fat little bunnies clapping your pudgy hands together in some utopian state of the church that's going to make everybody happy. It's saying you're just not fearing the right thing. Fear the right thing. But look at what, but it's not a fear that is resting in a conspiracy, right? But they said, do not call conspiracy what these people call conspiracy. Look what re replaces that in the list that you ought to do. He, him you shall regard as holy. That's what replaces that phrase about conspiracy. He has the fear and the dread in the same order. He says, don't call this conspiracy. Don't fear, don't dread. Call this holy. Fear him. Dread him. Because our, our fear stands, and we were talking, uh, I was talking to, who was it? Jake Colleen, uh, earlier this year, about the love for God and what that rests in. And your love for God ought to rest not in some sort of teenage, you know, smittenness, uh, what was the song you were singing last night from your church, Davis? I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. <laughs> Big boy. Um, that's the kind of songs they sing out there in the real world because they're in love with Jesus. Well, the Jesus we're in love with, the living God, is the biggest threat in the cosmos. He's going to hurt you badly if you don't straighten up and fly right. Now, 
The wonderful thing about a god who, he could be Cthulhu, you know, and no matter what, he's going to, you know, damn you all to torment. But he's not that kind of god. He is holy. He's not up to something evil. He's up to something holy. And so when you bow the knee and fear him and dread him, you are standing in relationship to a sublime thing, a thing that threatens and secures you at the same time. The same thing that threatens you is the same thing that is good and loving and holy and just and securing you, gracious. Look what it says in 14. And he will become a sanctuary. No matter how many times I say sanctuary, there back in the early days, I think it was Lon Chaney or one of the great horror actors who did the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and he was always going, sanctuary is the hunchback in it. So whenever I say sanctuary, it always comes out like I'm the hunchback. But what did he mean, the hunchback, when he cried sanctuary from the top of the Notre Dame Cathedral? What's the claim? It's a defensive point. It's a point where you, it's a holy place. The reason that someone would get into a church or they get into a temple and they, they couldn't be touched. I don't remember who it was in Spartan history that did something they ought not have done, but it was so bad that he got, took, took sanctuary in somebody's temple. They just went in there and dragged him out, killed him outside. I think it happened also to uh, Joab in the scriptures. But sanctuary, God is our sanctuary. He's our, he's our, our place of, of refuge in, in this situation when we have got, first off, settling out who you fear and who you dread. Not getting rid of fear and dread, who you fear and who you dread. Jesus Christ echoes the same thing. Do not fear him who can kill the body, and after that can do nothing. But fear him, once he has killed, can cast both body and soul into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's our place. We need to find that we stand in front of God. The way of this world is to fear all sorts of things. The threats of the highway, the threats of the government, the threats of, of your diet, the threats of, of, of uh, social direction or the collapse of culture. All sorts of things you could have. Public education. You could fear everything. Or you could fear God. Don't call conspiracy the things the world calls conspiracy. Sometimes the Christians think because they're fearing things that wicked men are up to, you know, public education, or uh, 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 nationalized health care, or gun control, or all sorts of things that I don't agree with, I, I think because I'm taking the right side, my fear being there is I'm, I'm doing the right thing. But my fear and my sense of conspiracy will set me up to pursue guidance and government in my life that is inaccurate because I did not fear God first. Now God is the sanctuary that I would run to or you should run to in trouble because he is the thing, the holy thing that we fear. Now at the same time he is the sanctuary for you the rest of verse 14, and a stone of offense. A sanctuary and a stone of offense. And a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap 
and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble thereon, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Two worlds here, folks. Worlds that are caught up in the way that the world thinks, fearing what the world thinks, then seeking the world's answers about what the world tells you to fear. The people who fear God. And the people that fear God find him to be a sanctuary. The people who don't fear God and seek out their own governments, they stumble over him. Now, whenever there's a problem like this, people go, well, how do we fix it, Wilson? If you were just a more powerful teacher, if you didn't try things like anti-choirs, weird doctrines about whatever else, you heated your church a bit more, all sorts of things we could, well, I'm actually not in the mood to do anything about it. It's, 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 and I don't think the Lord Jesus Christ is in a mood to do anything about it. Because through this passage, and in the Lord's teaching his, his himself, there is a pattern of, okay, when I say you don't think like the world does, don't fear what the world fears, don't answer it the way the world answers it, something then lands on you, an obligation. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? Am I going to listen to the Lord and his prophet and his apostle or am I not? Whatever you answer was a success for the message because the message is trying to get you to answer it, even if you answer it wrongly. Because that's the kind of person you are. That's the person that you don't want to give up your control, your government, your silliness in your life. You're more interested in having it your way, even if you fall down a lot. I was watching a little TV yesterday, and I think there was something involving Red Bull uh, on TV, in which uh, people were not being safe in their efforts. And they had some motocross race and some quarry somewhere, probably Argentina. And the rock slides these guys were going up, you know, boulders, sharp edge boulders, people falling down, bikes rolling over them. It was horrific. I wasn't there, so I just smiled and smoked. But they stumbled on rocks. And whenever you run over uneven rocks, when it's not, you know why we make sidewalks smooth? Yeah. So we don't stumble. They, uh, many years ago, some of you are old enough to remember this, they had a big lawsuit and the city was forcing everyone with any, any rise between their sidewalk blocks of maybe a, an inch to replace that portion of sidewalk because they didn't want anybody tripping because that's what happens when things aren't smooth. So we make things smooth to keep people from tripping. And sometimes we in the ministry want to get out there in front of Jesus like it were some, uh, what's that sport called? Uh, Canadians do it. Curling, Curling yeah. Where the guy's in front of a little weight with a broom going to town because they're going to go further. We, that's how we think of ourselves as Christians. 
Well, Isaiah doesn't think that way. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. A couple things are involved here. The prophet is closing up the book, binding it, sealing it. Even though right out there in the open is this way of the world about the fears they have and they're going the wrong way and they're going to stumble over these bad things and, and then there's the sanctuary that is the Lord Jesus. A, a holiness that we should find ourselves fearing and dreading. Wouldn't it be better if all these people over here were over here? Yes. It would be better for them. But the prophet, his hope is in God regardless of whether or not it's bound up and whether it's sealed. And whether God is hiding his face from people. Because the man who seeks God finds God. But the man who doesn't seek God, who is content in his training pants, fearing what he thinks he ought to fear and governing his life as he thinks he ought to govern it, does not ever consider, does not ever conclude that maybe I ought to fear God instead. And so he spends his life stumbling. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, this is his reference to Malashal or Hashbaz and Emmanuel, are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwell on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter. My daughter-in-law, Manisha, and I were chatting about this earlier. Some woman in her Bible study group at church was defending some friend who was a medium. And there's a show on TV of some bleach blonde who claims to be the Long Island medium. Oh yeah, your mother did love you. It always turns out that way, doesn't it? Never, no, your mother didn't like you. She told me from the grave <laughs> that you were really difficult. Now it's always cheer up. On the other side, nobody's in hell. It's called necromancy. Trafficking with spirits. It's bad. Not just bad because we don't believe the dead are alive. We, dead. we think the dead are out there. We're Christians. Bad things happen to some people, and good things happen to others, and the dead are, do not cease to be. The necromancers want to consult them. They are so flawed in what they fear. Mostly death, right? Mostly, what are the safety restrictions? I've got two car seats that look like they came out of Apollo 11 in my back seat <laughs> because I have grandchildren from the East Coast who expect that kind of treatment. <laughs> we had a cardboard box <laughs> growing up not because our parents put it in and strapped it in, because there were no straps in cars, but there was metal backing in the, um, in the Ford LTD station wagon. 
and you put down all the seats, it's nice and flat, and you get in the box, and then your brothers and sisters get in the box, different boxes, and you play bumper cars <laughs> while dad drives you around town because we were free and we weren't afraid, we weren't wusses. So there. But whatever they're, because when people have all these fears, whatever they are, whatever they are, they're running around, wetting their pants, looking for someone to check. Oh, let's even ask the dead. Let's go to a medium who chirp and mutter. I think it's sort of an insulting way of referring to their behavior. Should not a people consult their God? Should that not be the case, rather than the dead? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Oh, I know, he says in verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony. Hold it. Verse 17. No, it wasn't verse 17. All the way back in verse 16. Bind up the testimony and seal the teaching. Where should they go? Well, if they feared the right thing, they would look for the right thing. Even when they fear the wrong thing, they should look to him who would have answers about the wrong thing, to the teaching and to the testimony. But God's hiding himself from Israel. He's bound up the testimony. He has sealed the teaching. Surely for this word which they speak, there is no dawn. That's almost poetry, folks. Surely for this word which they speak, there is no dawn. It's amazing when you look at the world, what a wreck people are. You almost don't really want to get to know other people because unless they're dear Christians, but you turn over a small rock in somebody's life, you go, oh my gosh, you should be in prison. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be my friend, nor should you babysit my children. There is no dawn for these people. They're constantly stumbling. This is the nature. The, the God who made heaven and earth, who made everything in it, if I don't fear him, I don't understand his world, and I don't have smooth going. Everything's a jumble. Everything, I trip over everything, because I'm always trying to justify my own rule of my life that I think is going to make the sidewalk smooth. And the sun doesn't even come up in these people's lives. The sun doesn't come up. It's like that thing in Narnia, right, where you, it was always winter and never Christmas. It's always night and never morning. It doesn't matter if your tablet, your iPad, boy, was it called an iPad? Your iPad can talk to your phone and your wristwatch and your TV and set up your TV watching schedule. Zip, zip, zip. Smooth, smooth, smooth. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Look at you. Your life's a wreck. <laughs> oh, but you got some really cool gadgets. Doesn't matter what stuff has been invented. 
Remember when the, I remember back in the good old days when the Hyksos invented the war chariot for the Egyptians. And you can imagine the war chariot. I mean, they were like sports car war chariots. Not like the Assyrian, you know, panzer, heavy um, four-horse chariots. They were speedy, good handling, good suspension. Can you imagine antiquity? You're, you know, I don't know who it would be after the Hyksos. Amenhotep II, pick one. And, and you're out cruising around. Going, this is amazing. This is the future. <laughs> two wheels, two horses, some other guy driving. Didn't matter, his life is a wreck. And you got an iPad, and your life's a wreck. It doesn't, doesn't change. The sun still hasn't come up in that world. In the world in which people run their own lives, the sun never comes up. You create your own fears, you create your own terrors, you create your own threats, and then you create your own answers, and you go talk to the most idiotic sources. What should you consult? The teaching and the testimony. But it's hidden. Why don't you look for it? Well, I don't, don't want to. How much do you want to know? They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their god and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It doesn't get good. These people who are never going to have the sun come up because of this, When you ask yourself, when the, the, the prophet says, to the teaching and to the testimony, it's a great phrase. You might want to get it on a t-shirt. Uh, to the teaching and to the testimony. It's kind of like Paul and Apollos in Corinthians where he says that. Um, I've applied this to Apollos and myself for your benefits. You may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. To the teaching, to the testimony. If you were to say, you know, maybe I ought to fear God. Maybe I, and if I fear God, I ought to maybe consider his government rather than my own. I wonder where he may have passed that on. I wonder if I should look for it. Oh, I would encourage you to look for it in all sorts of places. I, I have a lot of weird ancient books in my library. Come along over and read them. Be my guest. You can read Buddhist thought. You can read you know, Mithras. You can read all sorts of different religions, different philosophies. Knock yourself out. But be seeking. Because you want to find not what Immanuel Kant's view of your fears in your life ought to be, but you have decided to fear God and you want to know what God has said. Has God spoken? Is there a testimony? Is there a teaching? However bound up, however sealed, shut, is there one that you could find? Because Isaiah was standing there very comfortably with God hiding himself from Israel. He was going to hope in God. He's fine with it. When you have found God and you've found the testimony and found the teaching, it has fixed you. Remember, the wise man is wise for himself. 
chapter 9 says, But there will be no gloom for her that was in anguish. He says, there's this gloom, just like remember before, there's, there's dread and there's dread, and there's fear and there's fear, and there's sanctuary and there's conspiracy. Well, there's holiness and conspiracy. And there's sanctuary versus stumbling. And there's no dawn for these people who are going to stumble. And there's a hidden God who ought to be feared. So although there is no sun coming up for most of the people in Israel, there's going to be something else as well. In the former time, he brought, him, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now you'll recognize the passage. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. These are people who had designed a life that was stumbling constantly in the dark, fearing the wrong things, answering it with the wrong sources, and a light showed up. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased its joy. They rejoice before thee. And then it gives you a few examples of how you, you probably can register with these feelings. As with the joy of harvest. You know that time? You get that cornucopia on your dining room table. You know, harvest time, pumpkins, sheaves of wheat, um, Italians crushing grapes. I don't know, what, you, what else do you think of? The combines with the self-leveling things, cutting the wheat on the Palouse Hills. Harvest, good harvest. Your barns are full. <laughs> Nothing better, right? That's why Thanksgiving, I think, why fall is so rewarding, right? You get to the end and it's all that work during the year and you reap it and there it is and people are celebrating and going to dances. And the joy of harvest. So feel free to take that one home. That's a good image, right? What has happened, this light has brought something that's that kind of joy. Oh, there's another kind of joy. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You know, all of us guys, we've just beaten the living crap out of the bad guys. We're sitting, their bodies are all over. And we're sitting, collecting their wallets because we just won, right? Big hot firefight. We didn't lose anybody, they lost everybody. We're taking their stuff. That's what that is, right? Men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, this describes a soldier's life. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as on the day of Midian, which was a famous battle with Gideon, Against Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's just a great picture. Uh, military background. You can feel free to use the harvest one. Uh, all you ladies who like bunnies and small dogs. Well, the men here say, yeah, 
you know, I can see, you know, keep yourself warm that first night after the battle with the rolled up clothes, rolled in blood of your enemy. That's like Conan the Barbarian. You know, what is the mean purpose of life? What did he say? To defeat your enemies. What is it, Arnold? Drive them before you and hear the lamentations of their women. The good life. Because your oppressor, this is victory over a tyrant. Your oppressor, the work of war against an enemy of that nature, broken with a victory like Gideon had over the Midianites. That was that one, the 300 guys and the torches and the trumpets. Great victory. One of those, you know, Alamo, if it had worked out for us. Or playing a marathon, right? Because that's the kind of joy we're facing. Do you understand? The satisfaction when the lights come on. The reason it's that kind of satisfaction, verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. That's why the lights came on. That's why it feels so good. Think about the things that feel great. The darkness humanity is in, the sun never coming up. Their own choices, God going, I'm not going to skywrite my answers for these people. They need to come looking for me. But in history, he's writing something. He, 2,000 years ago, he wrote the event that was the fulfillment this had been of 700 years earlier. A child was born. A son was given. And the, look at the government will be upon his shoulder. We waited, and we got a government. And this is North Idaho, folks. We, it's not a positive word. Right? You want to go shoot up a federal building? Hey, you get a crowd to do that. The problem is not with government, it's who go who's governing and what fears are being answered. We're getting people in gov secular government, civil government, that are answering fears we know we don't have. When you have to put your kid in a $3,000 seat to take him to the Safeway, because old people refer to things with the word the in front of it, the Walmart, the Safeway, This is a different kind of, this is the government with the lights on. This is a government given to someone who knows what they're doing, who made heaven and earth. When you read Colossians and Jesus Christ is, is lifted up in a, you know, a, a, a panegyric that is just a, a glorious thing of who Christ is. This is the child that was born. Or, or, you could do it the way you're doing it. Fearing the things you're fearing, calling conspiracy what you think is, and then turning to whatever professional class you want to have run your life. People who, you know, ever since secondary education, probably high school at some point, there's that kid who ran for student body president. Well, he just saw this power, right? He wanted power in his school, and he wanted to learn how to get power, 
and so he went out and ran for then city council, and then he ran for this, that, and the other. It's a good thing to run for office, but you know who I'm talking about. The self-appointed guardians of you. These are people who really like to guard more of your life. And so they'd like to have you a little more afraid of things. I, you do know insurance was invented not that long ago. What did people do before then? Were they just dying of fright constantly? People on the news talk about, you know, if you lost your insurance under Obamacare and you don't get it back the first day of the year, you could go a few days without insurance. <laughs> I have gone 59 years without insurance. Health, picture of health. <laughs> they keep us afraid. Almost, uh, the, 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 I've said this before about commercials on TV, they're all talking to you about what you should be afraid of. So they can command you, so they can lead you, and your life will be constantly, without a dawn, tripping over things. But a son has been given us, a child has been born, and he has taken the government. He triumphed, it says in Ephesians, over the principalities and powers, making public example of them in him. He took over the cosmos that he had made, he had granted to other authorities for a time, and then he took it back on the cross. His name will be called, this governor of yours, wonderful counselor, not petty tyrant, not liar, not a high tax and spend politician. He's a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. Remind yourself of that. Baby Jesus, mighty God. He is everlasting Father. This is getting a little confusing for the Jews. A child is born. He's going to govern. He's going to be mighty God and everlasting Father. There's a commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Prince of Peace. That's in red. You've heard it before. You like it. It says nice things. Christians enjoy it. It can go on a fridge anywhere. But what is he actually saying? In this world, everybody is fearing X. There's chaos in this world, and how you fear and deal with the chaos, how you govern your life, is what's going to happen. And if you think the chirping and muttering of your psych professor is going to be enough to get you through, God help you. Sun's not coming up. You'll find out when your daughter comes home with her not just a, a nice tattoo, but the sinking of the Bismarck across her chest. What have I done? Listen to the psych professor. But God has a government. God is to be feared. But the wonderful thing about government, government is supposed to produce a good result called peace. Right? That's why you govern things. That's why you sit, those of you who are obsessive or or just precise, 
That's why you have everything on your desk just so, because the government of your desk will make peace for your mind, you hope. We ha I had a roommate, Robert, many years ago in the Navy, California, and he was a little precise, we'll just say that. So we'd go into his room and we'd move a hairbrush. He would hold also grudges for a long, long time. God has come to bring order to his world, to those who have sought the testimony and the teaching, the hidden testimony, the teaching, the God who is hidden from them, but he will be found by those who seek him. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Not going to be a lot of you. Hopefully everybody here. There's not a lot of us here. But of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The wonderful thing about this, the wonderful thing about making a break with the way the world and what the world fears and what chirping and mutterings they listen to and what you have sought out, you have sought out in God. Not this church, you. This church is just, you might say, the trickle-down of real Christianity in your lives. It is not a thing in itself that rules your life. I do not tell you what to think. I tell you what I think. And you, responsible for your Christian life, is going to consider it. And you're going to go, yeah, that was right. No, that wasn't. Because you know that you're here to seek the teaching and the testimony. You're here to seek the living God in your life. You are here to deal with the prime reality that God has laid in front of you. Because his government and his peace, which has no end, is a far more enjoyable light of day than the dawnless day that everybody else is living in. And when you live that way, when you live that way, you begin to look at the outside world going, why don't they understand? And you want to go say something, you want to go convince them, and you make great commitments, and you, and you rend your garments. Isaiah had to deal with it. Jesus had to deal with it. The apostles had to deal with it. And you've got to deal with it. We are finding, not trying to make the whole world Christian. We'd like to offer it to the whole world, but we know the whole world is not because broad is the way that leads to destruction and many are they that go therein. That's just the promise. That's the way people are. But you want to find the people that will turn and seek the teaching and the testimony. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In that world, that world of the thing that you correctly fear, that world that is holy, that world that is a sanctuary, Things get smoother, things get more peaceful, things get more righteous. They're not tyrannies of somebody else's will, they're the love of God. And God is going to accomplish it in you. Every kingdom that you try to make on this earth is going to be in the dark. The kingdom that God is making and offers to you is not. Now last week, we were right before Christmas, 
and we had to have that Merry Christmas aspect. I think I twisted the scriptures somewhat to get it out. And this is New Year's, but this is really it. We had Christmas. The child is born. And if you pay any attention to this, Happy New Year. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful that your son planned, prepared centuries before he came. Spoken of by your holy prophets, like Isaiah. Lord, greet Isaiah for us and, and thank him for this these words this morning. And Lord, we thank your Son, our God, for that which we should fear, that which ought to govern. Lord, help us turn as individual Christians to the teaching and to the testimony. In your Son's name, amen.